Welcome to the Real Time Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Chris DL, and this is our co-host, Sarah. Hello, everyone. At Joyfully, we help you grow your own food and medicine so that you can be empowered to create health and wellness for your family naturally. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about overcoming the sense of helplessness that you might feel when you are listening to the news, when you're hearing your government tell you that food shortages are inevitable, or when you hear the news tell you that there's disasters happening or wars happening, that whole sense of dependency. And we're going to tell you how you can take steps today to overcome that and to start establishing food security for your family. Now, we've all just gone through two years of group trauma with the pandemic. Pandemic taught us to have that feeling of helplessness. There's nothing we can do and we can just follow along. The guidelines were being given and hope for the best. But there's actually a lot more that we can do. And sometimes the feeling of empowerment is just taking any action, taking the first step. And what we want to share with you today is how taking action to grow your own food and preserve it and to grow or forage for your medicine and preserve it can help empower you and give you great joy. Now, the first step is growing your own food and that's gardening. And so there was a study done at De La Salle University in the Philippines Many Filipinos during the pandemic started gardening in their backyards or in community gardens during the lockdowns. Now, the Philippine University investigated if gardening was associated with better peace of mind. And what they found was absolutely, there was a definite and significant increase in peace of mind among those who grew some of their own food, with those who gardened outdoors showing the highest levels of peace of mind among all the gardeners that were part of the study. On the other hand, those who didn't do any gardening had no change in their peace of mind. There was another uh, study done by the Coventry University. It was a literature review that found that gardening and growing food benefits all aspects of life, from physical fitness to reducing the risks of obesity and metabolic syndrome to healthy weight management. It also offered a sense of well-being, reducing depression, anxiety, and reliance on medication. And it helped people cope with challenging circumstances like recovering from surgery or receiving a cancer diagnosis or even dealing with chronic conditions and pain. It relieves stress, depression, and self-harm behaviors, and it improved concentration, alertness, and social skills. Gardening even helped with drug and alcohol dependency and recovery. In short, according to the scientific studies, Gardening makes life more meaningful and helps everyone live more fulfilling lives. But how do you move from a scientific study to actually receiving these health benefits? Let's talk about that. One of the ways you would probably start is by starting to do something with gardening. And that could be as simple as trying to establish maybe an herb planter pod or a flower pot even just near the front door or by the back door as the case may be. You don't necessarily need to jump straight into doing full-on gardening to get the health benefits of 
going outside and being in the sun or working with the soil and the plants. It's the microbiome and the fungi in the soil that has some of the mood boosting effect. So even just being able to have contact with the soil, even if you're not actively gardening per se, can be beneficial. I find personally, just especially when the sun is shining, just getting outside in the middle of the day in the afternoon, even for a half hour, makes me feel happier and makes me more content with my life. I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't just walk outside and dig in the dirt, even if it's just a planter, like you said. In fact, just before this podcast, I went outside for a half an hour and planted strawberry plants in a container garden. That's a really good use of the time leading up to the podcast. I have some strawberries I need to work with in my backyard, actually, coming up. We have to move them so that we can do some adjustments to the backyard and to the garden. One of my favorite things right now in the spring with the gardening is seeing all of the little volunteer plants starting to come up from having let some lettuces go to seed. I also have some volunteer Moldovian dragonhead balm, which is a type of medicinal plant in the mint family. And it actually went to seed last year, and I was very surprised to see that I had some volunteers of it come up this spring, which I'm very happy about. And I also have volunteers from my parsley that I let go to seed, and from my dill that I let go to seed last year. It's so cool, I think, when plants just go to seed. Some people say gardening is really hard, but the reality is that seeds want to grow. And so if you just put them in the ground and give them what they need, they will grow that's really fun and it's exciting and it's something to share with everyone in your family, your children, grandchildren in my case. It's it's so fun. In fact, some new gardeners will even plant a seed and then check an hour later to see if it's germinated and then check every day. And some old gardeners like me, I check every day too when I plant a seed because it's so exciting to see those first little green sprouts come up. Definitely. It is very exciting to see the baby plants coming up, whether you are planting them indoors to get a head start on the season. I have that with a few of my medicinal plants this year. I'm starting basil, uh, Thai blue butterfly pea that's used for teas and for natural food dye, and a couple other plants indoors. And I love watching them when I see the soil begin to bubble because I know they're starting to germinate. And it's really fun to watch them when they start growing because they just look so happy. Baby plants just look happy. The other thing that's really fun, I find, is when you do a cutting and it starts to root. Like Sarah, you told me about it. I cut off the top of one of my basil plants the other day and I put it in water and I literally saw roots forming within 24 hours. And it was just so exciting. Even after gardening for almost 40 years, I still get excited when I see that first seed start to sprout or when I see roots starting to form on a cutting. It is so exciting to to be participating in life in that way. Another thing about the joy of gardening and finding joy in it is the weeds. They are so abundant. The weeds are definitely abundant. Ours have just started blossoming, the dandelions, and it is amazing watching the bees buzzing around the dandelion flowers. And I'm letting the flowers stay around for a while because I want the bees to get all of the pollen. And then once I'm sure the bees have taken the pollen, then I will start harvesting some dandelion flowers to use for tea or to use for medicine. And I'm really looking forward because I finally have some dandelion flowers in this yard. Nice. And last year, I only think I had three or four. And this year, I probably have around 30 to 60 dandelions. 
dandelions are so awesome. Lots of people want to spray them and get rid of them. Dandelions are here to help us. One of the things about dandelions is that the roots go down deep and bring up minerals from the um, depths of the soil and bring them up to the surface so that the plants growing around the dandelion are um, able to take that nourishment as the dandelion dies back in the fall. And the other thing is that long taproot breaks up the soil. And so if you have compacted soil or clay soil or soil that's hard for water to permeate, the dandelion helps the water get down. So dandelions are really there to help us. And the root of dandelions is used for herbal medicine and it's used to support the liver and to help with detoxification and to help the body get rid of a lot of the chemicals that we have in our modern lives. I love when the dandelions open in my pastures. The, the whole pasture turns yellow with the dandelions and they're eaten. The wild deer come in and eat the dandelions and sheep and goats and cattle eat the dandelions and we can eat the dandelions as well. And so when I see that abundance of those beautiful, easy to grow early spring yellow dandelions, it really brings joy to my heart. Do you feel that same joy with dandelions, Sarah? Yeah, I can still remember being a little one and deciding to pick dandelions as a Mother's Day bouquet gift because they were one of the most abundant and beautiful flowers that I saw as a child. And as a child, those bright yellow joyful blossoms must be a perfect gift for mom, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of these days, your little girl is going to come and bring you a bouquet of dandelions. I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> now dandelion is a very interesting plant it's one of the most common weeds we have around it'll grow in cracks in the sidewalk and the cement it'll grow in your yard where the ground has been compacted most likely by houses being built and it will also grow in pastures, areas of disturbed soil, along logging roads, anywhere that there's been compacted ground, disturbed ground, and anywhere basically that the dandelion seed senses that its taproot would be useful. So there's a couple ways, obviously, to identify dandelions. One is by its leaf. They are relatively long leaves. They can be anywhere from three inches long to, I've seen dandelions in really rich soil have leaves of up to six to eight inches long. But usually the length of the leaf is about six times the width of the leaf. So you can tell the dandelion based off of that growth pattern. The leaf is heavily toothed or serrated. And dandelions will have a smooth leaf without any leaf hairs. And then of course there's the hollow stem that if you break it, it will have a milky latexy sap exuded. And the flowers themselves are bright yellow. And when the flowers are mature, they form seed heads with those fluffy, wispy dandelion clocks that children love blowing on. Is there another identifying factor, Chris, that I may have forgotten to mention? So the yellow flower is significant, but the other thing about it is that the flower comes from 
there's a single flower on a long stem and the long stem will come from the ground, basically the center of the plant. It'll come straight up and then there'll be one flower. Now there are some lookalikes that have the toothed leaves. Some of them have some hair on the leaves, but they have the tooth leaves, but they will actually have a branching flower head. So there might be more than one flower on the head. So those aren't dandelions, although they're not toxic. But when we're talking about dandelions, of course, all parts of the plant are edible or useful for medicine. The leaves are useful and traditionally used in many cultures as a early spring green. They don't have the bitterness in the early spring before the flowers are formed. Once the flowers start to form, the the leaves do get a little bit bitter. And you can even still eat them when they're bitter, but you want to use, you want to cook them then. You can eat them raw before that. When you cook them to get rid of the bitterness, you cook them and then you get rid of that water and then you put some fresh water in and cook them again. And that's how we get rid of the bitterness. And then the flowers can be used as well for food and for medicine. And in fact, they can be used as a topical medicine for for easing joint pain or muscle pain. So it's an analgesic. And also the root I mentioned before is a liver tonic and it's useful for for taking care of removing toxins from the body. Anything you want to add, Sarah, about the usefulness of dandelion? A lot of people may know that dandelion root is also used as a coffee substitute, usually in connection with chicory root and with roasted barley. So it's used as a non-caffeine version of coffee that has a similar flavor, similar bitterness profile, but that lacks the caffeine and addictive properties that our normal coffee has. So that is a very interesting way that dandelion is used. And we've also, if I remember correctly, have made wine from the dandelion flowers themselves, which is very useful for colds or for flu symptoms or just as a very bright and cheerful wine with a very interesting semi-floral flavor. And I've also heard of people taking the unopened dandelion buds from the center of the rosette and using them to make a uh, pickled caper imitation or for frying like capers. So there's a lot of different ways to use the dandelion plant while it's growing in the spring or right through to harvesting the roots in the fall. Personally, when I'm weeding the garden and I pull the dandelions at any time of the year, I will dry the root and I will use the leaves, even if they're not prime leaves in spring or prime root. If I'm pulling them out anyway, I make sure to try and use them because it is another food that my garden has given me. So dandelion is just one weed. There are lots of weeds. It's really important though, if you want to eat the weeds, we recommend that you make sure that you've identified the weed and make sure that it's a safe weed. Now, Sarah, you used to live in Israel. You were there for a couple of years and you actually met your husband in Israel. And there was something that that was in Israel that was exciting. When I came to visit you, I noticed it, that there is food growing in the hedgerows and in the landscape all over the cities in Israel. And I was really fascinated. One day we were walking down the street and this olive tree on the side of the road started shaking and olives started dropping down on a blanket on the ground. And we watched for a while, amazed that this olive tree was like harvesting itself. And then this man stepped out of the tree and it was really funny. And he gathered up 
the blanket that he had harvested the olives and took them home. But it was just like a public treat. And I was fascinated by that. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in Israel? And it's what I call guerrilla gardening in that you're harvesting or planting food in a public space that's common to everybody. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. The olives are actually growing very abundantly, you could say, because they plant olives along the sides of the road. They plant them in the center of the roundabouts on the road. They plant them in the parks. So there are olive trees everywhere, and they're basically left for whoever wants to harvest them. So that is most often the uh, Bedouin who are in Israel or some of the other groups who are slightly more itinerant in Israel. There are places that will set up like an olive press during the olive harvest season. And then whoever wants to can harvest olives from the open trees, bring them there, press the olives and have fresh olive oil to take home. So that works really well. Another tree that is planted extensively is the carob tree. And carob is actually a known emergency food. It is in the pea or bean family. It's a nitrogen fixer, so it's a very valuable plant just to have growing in the middle of an orchard, or in Israel, it's often grown just by the side of the roads. But the carob can be harvested just by walking past the trees and picking them, or the pods will fall down and you can pick them up. I actually taught another volunteer with the organization I was with to harvest the carob. And carob is actually used to make a syrup as a sweetener as well as being used just as a food. And then another plant I was able to harvest from was the almonds, because there are wild almonds in Israel as well that grow in different areas. And the only necessity with the almonds is checking to figure out whether or not the almonds are bitter. If they're bitter, you only want to eat a few a day, but if they're sweet, you can eat a lot more. And the bitterness in the almond, of course, comes from the natural cyanide that is in that family. So we've actually selectively bred most of our almonds not to have any of that bitterness. But if you think about the flavoring from mascarpone, almond paste or almond flavoring, that flavoring is actually closer to the flavor of the bitter almonds than it is to the flavor of sweet almonds, which is very interesting. And then the last thing that I harvested freely in Israel was actually a type of citrus fruit. People would plant it because of the leaves of the tree, and then it would grow until it went over the walls and over the dividers of the properties. And basically, as long as a tree was leaning into the roadway, you could pick and eat whatever you wished as you were walking by. And it's basically following the command in Torah that if it is open to the path, then you can harvest with your hand and consume it. Just don't use a basket. So I know, Sarah, that you've been looking a little bit deeper into permaculture. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about foraging, but permaculture is a lot of what you experienced in Israel. Is there some lessons that you brought home from Israel about permaculture that you plan to implement when you have a larger property that you own? I'd love to implement having more fruit trees, nut trees, etc. available, even if I can't use everything the tree produces every single year. Trees will produce an abundance both for me, for the wild animals, or to share with other people. I actually have a walnut in my backyard, and last year I did not have the energy to pick up the walnuts. What did have the energy to come and get the walnuts over the winter? The raccoons. 
And when they needed food during the winter, they were coming and digging in the snow to find the walnuts that I hadn't picked up last year. So I found that very interesting how even in the city here, with a very small property, nature and the trees can still produce an abundance to provide both for the people and for the animals that are around. And one of the things I'm working on doing actually in my front yard is bringing in some lavender plants and a couple other herbs that the deer aren't as likely to snack on so that I can have some beneficial plants in the front of my property as well. So I am trying to do permaculture, even if it's just on this small scale with the small area I have. If you're just getting started thinking about using herbs to make something so that you can feel better and start to tap into the natural wellness, I've got the perfect course for you. My course, the Inspiring Botanical Drinks Mixers and Elixirs course. In this video course, you'll learn how to make healthy beverages that will help you break away from sodas and sugary drinks or plain boring water. Even if you have a two or three soda a day habit, even if the kids are home and you keep running out of ice and ideas, even if you struggle to get enough fluids in your body because of the heat, even if you are watching your macros, your carbs, or your waistline, even if you have food sensitivities or allergies, and even if the rising price of food and drink has you making tough decisions about where to cut costs. If you are making more food at home and watching your budget, but go to the same bottled beverages day in and day out, this class will inspire you to up your game in the beverage category with healthy and creative options that are also kind to your budget. So have a look at the inspiring botanical drinks, mixers and elixirs class. You'll find the link in the show notes. So we've been talking about dandelions and also a little bit about growing gorilla gardening in Israel and safe foraging and fruit trees and that sort of thing. I want to back up a little bit and talk about some safe foraging practices, things that everyone who says, yeah, I see that there's wild food. I want to go and learn more about that wild food and maybe take some home with me. What things that somebody who's brand new to foraging might need to have in their pocket as far as rules or guidelines so that every time they forage, they are doing so safely because there are poisonous plants out there and things like poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, but also things that maybe aren't on our radar to be poisonous, but are poisonous because they have glyphosides in them that are actually extracted for medicine, but shouldn't be consumed just haphazardly. So what are a few of the rules that we should apply as safe foraging rules? Number one, always identify a plant from at least three sources before harvesting. I like using at least one physical field guide and then maybe an online source or someone who knows your area, knows the plants in the area, but basically always make sure that the first time you're encountering a new plant that you get it identified by at least three sources. Now some plants are more obvious than others like dandelions, they're really easy to identify. Anything in the mint family, 
is going to be very easy to identify. They have square stems. They're one of the only plant families that have square stems. Or a plant like stinging nettle is going to be really easy to identify. All you have to do is brush up against it and it's going to be obvious. But other plants, you're going to want to have an expert. Anything in the Asteraceae family, or also known as the carrot family, you are going to want to have at least three positive identifications before you harvest anything. And in all honesty, I would avoid harvesting anything in the Asteraceae family until you have an expert with you. So I agree, Sarah, that you want to be careful with the carrot family. The The sunflower family is one family that there are also a few toxic plants that you want to avoid. So having a field guide is super important. And if you don't know how to use a field guide, having an expert with you, like you said, is super important. The other thing I think is important is know where you are. And if you are on private property, make sure that you have the landowner's permission. You don't want somebody's dog running at you to get you off their land. And some plants are protected in some areas by government regulations. So you want to make sure you understand whether the plant you want to harvest is actually allowed to be harvested where you want to harvest it. Another tip is to harvest at least 25 feet away from a country road and 50 feet away from a major highway, just to make sure that you're not ending up with sprays from vehicles or that the roadside has been sprayed to keep weeds down. Any other rules that I might have missed? I would add staying at least 5 to 10 feet away from walking paths since you don't know what might get spilled or people walking their pets. So you don't know 100% what's going to be close to the walking path. So I would always go at least 10 feet from the walking path since most dog leashes are not more than about 10 feet in length. However, beside walking paths, things like apple trees, hawthorn trees, and sometimes even pines are accessible. So those are going to be safer to say, pick a few hawthorn berries from the hawthorn tree when they're ready versus say, thinking about picking up yarrow from off of the ground directly beside the path. So some of it is also just looking at what type of thing you're wanting to harvest, whether that might be a fruit like a hawthorn haw or rose hips or apples. A lot of the walking trails near me have apple trees near them. So I would feel fine harvesting the apples, but I wouldn't feel fine, say, harvesting the dandelions or the yarrow from beside the walking paths. And of course, if there's any signs up that say there's been spraying, I would avoid harvesting in that area at all, no matter what. Even if it's just sprayed on the ground, you don't know how the drift will have affected the nearby trees or mushrooms or anything else that might be in the area. So if there's signs up that say there's been spraying, I would avoid doing any foraging in that area but I would use that area for identifying native or local plants. Now, there are some myths about safe foraging that I've heard people say. Um, things like foraging is dangerous and you shouldn't just go willy-nilly into the woods to to look for wild plants or wild medicine or even wild mushrooms because it's just too dangerous. And that's just not true, is it, Sarah? If you, we make proper identification and we're harvesting in a place that's safe and we've made proper plant ID, we have landowner's permission or we know it's safe, then 
it's totally fine and there's nothing dangerous about it. In fact, foraging is a skill that even children can learn. And I think that it's super important that we do teach the next generation how to identify plants and how to use them. I'd like to tell you a story. Uh, one time I was at a gas station and I went into the to use the washroom and this mom came in to use the washroom with her three daughters and she had an ice cube in a paper towel and she was putting it on her daughter's finger. And I asked her what was wrong. And she said that her daughter had just been stung by a wasp. And, and sure enough, the finger was swelling up. And I said to the mom, I have something that can help you come outside with me. And I found a plantain leaf and I gave it to her. We sort of rinsed it off first and gave it to the little girl. And I said, chew this up and put it on the sting. And it was pretty much instantly the pain went away and the swelling started to go down. And the mom was amazed, but that little girl can now identify a plantain leaf. And that's how easy it is. She was only, I would say, eight years old, and she will never forget the plantain leaf. And the mom said to me, besides thank you, she said, I remember when I was a little girl doing this, I had forgotten. And so children are able to learn how to forage safely. And in fact, Sarah, when she was a little girl, knew how to forage safely and taught me many things about foraging because I was a mom that was busy in the house and didn't always get outside as much as Sarah did. So one of the things that people say to me um, talking about myths about safe foraging is that we should not harvest the flowers in the spring, the dandelion flowers, because even though they're abundant, the native bees and the honeybees need them because it's the early spring source of nectar and pollen. And that's true, that it is an early spring source of nectar and pollen. But people who say that, what they don't realize is that the dandelion flower actually has many flower buds in the base of the flower um, in amongst the leaves. And if you pick the flower from the top of the dandelion stalk, another flower will come up the next day and take its place. And so it's totally fine to harvest flowers. The dandelion plant will not run out of flowers. So there will always be something for the bees to have. Now, where it comes in is where that's important is you don't want to be spraying poison on the dandelions because one, you can't use them for medicine then, you can't use them for food, never harvest a sprayed dandelion. And also once those dandelions have been sprayed, there is no food for the bees. It will poison the bees. Can you think of any other myths about safe foraging, Sarah? Well, just touching on the pollinators, one, I'm not sure if people think that way per se, but there's probably some people who think you also shouldn't harvest clover blossoms because the bees love clover. But you can also always plant clover in your garden as a cover crop, or if you have an area that you're trying to grow a lawn in, you could always plant clover instead of grass. It can handle being mowed a little bit, and the blossoms will feed the bees as well as enriching your soil with nitrogen. And it won't need as much mowing as grass because clover doesn't grow as high. Same with creeping thyme. That's another fun one that can be used as a ground cover instead of grass and will be very valuable for your native pollinators 
and will give you something to forage for in your own backyard that you know is safe to harvest. Absolutely, Sarah. I agree with you. One of the things about the whole joy of gardening and of foraging is the absolute abundance that we experience, especially in spring, while we're still getting the spring rains. And I just love that part about gardening and about foraging and about plants. It's just amazing that even the weeds give us benefits. And so I think that it's really important If you want to experience that joy of being out in nature, of gardening or foraging, it's really important to allow yourself to look at the things around you with new eyes. When you see dandelions, don't look at them as weeds or more work for the gardener, but look at them as the abundance that God provided in our gardens for us or in our lawns or in nature. And in that, we will have the joy of discovery, like the child has that discovers the dandelion bouquet that they pick for their mom, or the abundance of dandelions as herbalists when we go out and harvest for food and medicine to make pesto and wine and uh, pain relief and a coffee substitute and tea, even food. So we've been talking in this episode about the sense of helplessness that a lot of us experienced during the COVID lockdowns and how gardening can help us have a new empowerment um, and a new sense of being able to move beyond that helplessness, knowing that there are things that we can do and we can produce our own food and we can forage for food and medicine. And then we talked about how there was great joy in the abundance of nature. Now, with every one of these podcasts, we want to leave you with an actionable step that you can do. And so there is one positive action that we want you to take after you listen to this. Sarah, why don't you share it? So what we'd love for you to do is to go for a walk and look around you with the new eyes we were discussing the eyes of a forager, the eyes of a gardener, the eyes of an herbalist, and see if you can spot and identify dandelions. And in my front yard right now, there are dozens of dandelions in blossom, so it's really easy to spot them. And I'm sure that wherever you are, that there should be dandelions available right now at this time of year for you to spot. And I know that on my walk that I'm going to be doing this evening with my puppy, I'm going to be able not only to spot dandelions, but also to see where someone went by and decided it would be really fun to plant irises along the walking path. That sounds amazing, Sarah. I would love to see your walking path with the irises beside them. Irises, they're another one of the abundance. Um, They need to be um, divided every spring, and a lot of people will just throw them over the fence. And so uh, that's a great thing. And they're so beautiful, too. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me today and helping me with this podcast. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. And we would love to hear from you about what inspired you, if you found anything inspiring, and also share what you found on your walk. So as always, like and subscribe, and uh, we'll talk to you at the next episode. Bye-bye.